Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts Graham Jackson and Martin Kaiser discuss myeloma treatment in the UK, highlighting approaches to high-risk disease and discussing several clinical trials, including the Optimum trial, the Myeloma 11 trial and more. Hello, my name is Graham Jackson and here we are at Comai 2022 in Paris and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Dr. Martin Kaiser. And we've just come from the session around treating initial therapy in high-risk multiple myeloma. And Martin, you've been presenting your optimum data. Would you like to give for our audience some of the highlights of that fantastic trial that you've led on? So we ran a trial that we designed dedicated for ultra-high risk patients and patients with platinum cell leukemia. Um, and we wanted it to be really inclusive, but also to the point to really address the need of the patients that have the worst outcomes currently with treatment. I mean, in the UK, many other countries as well, we are treating all newly diagnosed patients very similarly. Um, we know that unfortunately 20% will relapse early. Um, the question is how do you identify those? So I think we, we, are, we are fortunate in the UK that we have a, a standard per guideline that genetics are possible for many people, unfortunately not for everyone. I think that was part of the argument that we wanted to make in the trial as well. That it's really important to look for genetics, especially in younger patients, but also that we're missing some of the information with genetics. So gene expression, for example, is something that picks up a group of patients with fast-growing tumors. And also, surprisingly, that was one of the findings, plasma cell leukemia. So the plasma cell leukemias nearly all have high proliferation rates. So with a new cutoff between 5 and 20%, we can probably pick up most of them as well. And then we were asking the question, if we treat them differently with new treatments and monoclonal antibodies making combinations now possible like DARA VRD in the UK, we can even add cyclo. How is their outcome? Uh, randomizing was difficult. So we actually uh, you know, were uh, lucky that the Marlon 11 trial had just been run you know, um, and Graham, US chief investigator, know that was already a trial that was leading to far better outcomes than before, especially with the KCRD induction therapy and then relevant maintenance. But we thought, okay, within that trial, the ultra high risk patients, same type of features, a genetic high risk, and we define them here by double hit. So two uh, chromosomal abnormalities uh, co-occurring or more, two or three or four, in some even, uh, or gene expression high risk in myeloma 11. How do they compare against patients that get more novel therapy with DARA CVRD before transplant, a transplant with Velcate in there as well, but unusual. But then most importantly, after the transplant, not dropping the intensity, but actually keeping them on intensive therapy with DARA VRD for another six cycles. And that was actually the, the follow-up up to which point we had data now and we could compare. So 18 months progression-free survival between these two trials, an ultra-high-risk group from ALM11 and an ultra-high-risk group from Optimum, uh, and we could see that the progression-free survival at that 18 months time point was markedly higher for the new regimen. So it was uh, around 80%, whereas uh, in, in Malum 11 it was significantly lower. And that's, of course, uh, a really important finding, you know, for the use um, uh, of such novel treatments, especially the monoclonal antibodies. You were unique as well. I think two things you deserve huge credit for was, first of all, 
whole trial design, you're, you're pretty much the first person to really look at that really difficult group of patients separately and treat them more intensively. And also, I think gene expression profiling, which isn't a standard assessment of high-risk disease, you've brought that into the mainstream. And I think one of the interesting things about the optimum data is that there is an overlap between gene expression profiling and ultra-high-risk disease, but there is also patients that are defined as high-risk by have, either having one or the other. Do you think gene expression profiling should be done for all patients now? Yeah, I think, I think we are all at the moment um, knowing about that frustration that we think we know a patient, uh, you know, we, we, we believe to think, okay, there is no genetic abnormality, patients should be doing well, and then they come back. Unfortunately, year after transplant, the disease is becoming detectable again. And I think it leads to frustration on all sides. And this is the group where we found many of those, actually the majority of those, do have gene expression high risk profile at the beginning. So we're just missing in our current diagnostics that group of patients, which I think then in turn, by us feeling, okay, what we can do at the moment maybe means we shouldn't do any genetics. I, th I think the opposite is true. We should be doing more to learn more about our patients. and that's both for us to know and for our teams to know, but I think it's so important for the patient because if we want to tell the patient, actually, you know, maybe you shouldn't be going, you know, I mean, as much as we want patients to go on holiday, but maybe before the transplant, you shouldn't have a three-month trip, you know, without treatment, just to have a break. Your disease is high risk. Uh, even if we cannot change the type of treatment, just keeping, for example, the treatment more to the point and more more timely can be important information that we can derive from the risk status. Yeah, and again, that, that concept, and, and we heard the master study today, and we saw some of the data in standard risk, single hit disease and double hit disease. And one of the things that struck me about the master study compared with Optimum is that those double hit patients in master did not do as well. And, and, and I think, I wonder if you'd like to comment on that continuation of therapy in Optimum makes a difference in those difficult to treat patients. Yeah, I think the data clearly shows actually the treatment in myeloma 11, you know, was very good anyway, KCRD, but it was particularly the induction that had more intensive treatment. And actually at that point, from the data that we have at the moment, the outcome of the two groups are relatively similar. Uh, if you look at the survival curves, the progression-free survival curves between optimum and myeloma 11, up to 12 months, they're relatively similar. It starts really at the point when everyone has been through their transplant, when they normally start the lower intensity regimen or even follow-up in myeloma 11, that the drop in the curve of P of progression-free survival starts. And this is where the optimum curve actually continues to be really showing people are staying in remission, they're maintaining their responses, which can be sometimes even deep responses as we've seen with MRD. Yeah, it is that point, isn't it, after the transplant yeah. when when myeloma 11 patients kind of went on to revlimid maintenance no matter what the risk versus your strategy of really continuing that intensification through six cycles and then a further 12 cycles of what would be regarded as triple therapy too yeah. and, and that clearly makes a difference. I think the other thing I'd like to ask you is comparing and contrasting with the German concept study. So Katja delivered a very interesting study there. Do you think that your study and Katja's study have really changed the approach for clinical trials in newly diagnosed high-risk disease? I think I think it's you know I think it's brilliant and it shows what the what the you know rich um, culture in terms of running investigator initiated tr trials uh, you know especially in these public healthcare countries uh, you know can really bring because 
in many respects, the two trials, I think, are confirming each other. I think there are, of course, subtleties in how the treatment was given and the, how the genetics were assessed that will allow, probably even in a richer way, to look at the results even more as they mature, because I think what will be important is to understand which were the patients that were relapsing early, for example, uh, despite this very intensive treatment. Uh, there, were, there were a few, but there were some. Uh, but I think as such, the concept, because it was so similar, I think has been backed up by the two trials, which is actually, yes, uh, an intensive induction therapy, including monoclonal antibody, but then in particular, the concept study as well, an intensified consolidation regimen after transplant. I think that's where the thinking has to be very similar in the design, and it is fortunate that despite some drugs being different, the outcome likewise looks good for both. So I think that that is a very strong argument, especially if putting it next to, and I think that trial deserves a lot of, a lot of credit for many reasons, but putting it next to MASTER, where patients received a very intensive induction, but then based on MRD were de-escalating therapy. I think in some sense that these, this trio of trials now is more or less emerging in parallel, uh, I think can inform us about what, what we should be doing. And, and presumably working with Katja to do that sort of analysis of outcomes in these patients is, is another rich vein of data that we should be able to look at to, to help us even more make the best for these patients? I think absolutely. I mean, internationally, I think we are, we are, I think we're all realizing, you know, we, we learn more, the more we learn from each other. Mm. And I think we have a history already of collaborations. We did a great collaboration. There was another focus on chromosome one abnormalities here yesterday. We did a large meta-analysis with the German group already over 2,500 patients just last year. Uh, and I think we are, you know, all set up to, to do more of that. That brings me on to maybe what the last question, the, the Forte data, which we haven't discussed very much because it's slightly different trial design, but one of the interesting things in the Forte study is that KR versus R randomization for maintenance. And that interesting data about amplification of 1Q, what, what do you think is going on there versus game 1Q? I mean, uh, 1Q is a very, very interesting uh, genetic area, of course, or region in, in myeloma, because it's one of the regions that we also see has more gain at relapse, so we see more patients. So it is, in some sense, a uh, driver of resistance or disease re-emerging again. I think what the complexity is, is that it co-occurs with various other markers as well. So I think I think the data is very interesting, but what will be particularly interesting is digging into similar uh, data types more deeply because, you know, it could be that there are uh, disease types that not only had the amplification of Q, often that actually comes as well with having a T414 or a deletion 70P. Uh, so it, I think that that will be very um, informative to know more about what else did these one, one amplified tumors have. I'd like to say thank you. Uh, I think, as I said during the talk, we, a great trial. You deserve huge credit for, for what is groundbreaking study and with groundbreaking results. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.